Welcome to The Golden Shadow. My name is Aaron Rogerson. And I'm Melissa Polizzi. Today, we have our very first special guest. Mm-hmm. His name is Andrew Twaza. He's a visual artist, game designer, and lover of wisdom. How's it going, Andrew? It's going good. How are you? I'm doing great. Mm-hmm. Andrew is a friend, so the audience should know that. Mm-hmm. He is a first-time guest, but also a first-time listener. <laughs> Never listened to the podcast before. It's okay, um, we're not offended. No, we're not offended. I mean, it's because I talk to you guys so much. Yeah. Yeah. I think most of our friends have probably never listened to the podcast, yeah. mm-hmm. but that's okay. Um, we decided that we would talk to Andrew about art in a very broad, maybe kind of abstract way. We're all familiar with art as something that we've experienced in our lifetime, something we probably engaged in, something we've created. Um, but there's patterns behind the paintings or patterns behind the song patterns Mm -hmm. behind the book that are kind of universal to all forms of art. Mm -hmm. And that might be something that we get into to to start things off is what is happening behind all these art objects or the patterns of creation. What is it about all art forms that kind of seem to have the same sort of creative process Mm -hmm. in which you develop ideas and you bring them into physical reality through some sort of creative process. Yeah. It's, it's not necessarily something that I've contemplated directly, like what is art? But to me, it feels in many ways, like the tapping into of the unconscious, the collective unconscious, definitely that strikes the heart of these archetypal patterns. So you start to see these like emergent uh, tides moving through art movements through expressions of art through the patterns of song as you said Mm -hmm. and so there's something about entering into the deep psyche that really comes into play when an artist is in the flow that you might say um a real space where we get to sort of channel that depth that exists within the human psyche right right right. there's like there's two i say this a lot (laughs) maybe i haven't talked about this on the podcast too much but I always think of art as having two processes, okay. one of which is chaos and one is order, hmm. right? Okay. And the unconscious stuff is sort of like the creative, generative mm. uh, facet of art. And then there's sort of like an editing, sculpting part of art that's sort of like the order. Yeah. So tapping into the unconscious is certainly part of it. Mm. But there's kind of like a coming down with imposition mm. to take that mess that's been generated and sculpt it into something that is coherent yeah. in some way. Yeah, I mean, and and, and in addition to that, it's like sort of what I've been thinking of recently is sort of like this idea that there's like the structure and then like the flow, which is sort of like the, what you were talking about. Yeah. So there's like the structure is sort of like the practice that you kind of put in. And then the flow is like when the divine inspiration sort of like hits you, Mm. like your practice sort of like take takes, like you sort of rise to the level of your competence essentially Mm. right right i think everyone has some sort of process that follows that pattern in some way if you're actually successfully creating art and we could get into like what is success and what is failure when it comes to art because that's Mm. not clear but for me personally for instance usually i have some sort of process where i just like generate ideas lots of ideas and i write them all down and Alyssa knows this that i'm always taking notes all the time on my phone, mm. like I have an idea, I have an idea, I have an idea, like all the time. And that process is like letting things pour out. Yeah. But it's not like I just take my page of notes and like, there's the book. 
Mm-hmm. It's like, no, there needs to be this like other process of like taking all those ideas, throwing out all the ones that don't fit or yeah. that are stupid or don't make any sense. And then what gets left behind is like a more narrow, more constrained product mm. that had to come after the generative, sure. uh, generative process. Yeah. And usually like you, maybe you have a hundred ideas and one idea is good and that's the product. Mm. Sometimes something like that. That's kind of like my process. But yeah. then the question is sort of like what makes that idea good? Yeah. And the idea is good because it's sort of communicating an idea that you're trying to get across, which mm-hmm. in essence is sort of like what art is, is it's like communication. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's communicating feelings mm. or something that's again, kind of unconscious, kind of deeper, like mm-hmm. verbal communication. We're, I mean, we're being creative now. We're kind of creating, creating art with this podcast in some sense, but we're having a very literal conversation. And that communicates something very uh, rationally, very, again, like verbally. Whereas like a painting communicates something that is deeper, which is like, I crafted an emotion Mm. and you're going to receive that emotion through the painting or something like that. There's another facet to art that I always have found fascinating, which is it being this canvas for an individual's projection. Like Mm. all... A host of different people can listen to an album and get something different or look at a painting and see something else. And maybe there's like a a nucleus to that. Like there's a a very particular feeling, um, emotional dynamic that it evokes, but the nuance of what people pull from it and project onto it or, or what gets interjected back into them sort of shifts. And so really potent art has this potential of becoming so deeply personal and meaningful uh, for an individual to be able to look into it and see something kind of staring back at them. Yeah, be- because like w- mm-hmm. earlier when I said it's like communication, it's it's communication, but it's also a conversation. Mm-hmm. Yes, like you can't have good. art without an audience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So by having the audience, it's sort of like a, a, a ping ponging of like kind of back and forth of mm-hmm. like this idea. And so if there's like an art that you enjoy, mm-hmm. you're by enjoying it, you're sort of just as much part of that process hmm. than the artists themselves. Right, right. I agree. I, th- I think that um, obviously there's a lot of people in the world who create art that no one ever sees, mm-hmm. of course. Um, but I do think sort of the process is not complete without sort of an objective eye. Mm-hmm. I mean, a lot of the art that I've made, which is mostly music, is is has never actually been listened to by anyone else besides me. And there's some sort of like idea that like I'm the audience. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but well, that's how I would see it. Yeah, but it's like not really complete in like, because you are trying to communicate something that's like one part of art, but you're also just engaging in this like primordial act of creation that I think is like, can be traced further and further back to, you know, I mean, animals create things in some ways. Mm. Like art is kind of an abstraction of this primordial creative act. Yeah, but that gets to that part also that like, I also feel that art is what makes us uniquely human yes. as yeah. well. Yes. It's kind of what separates us from like <laughs> the animals to a degree. But what about the elephant? I know, I know, I know someone's going to bring up the elephant. <laughs> right. And there's a gorilla that paints sort of self-portraits. Okay. So, so the elephant. They're not very good though. So the it's elephant, just a train. It doesn't it's just count. Like the, yeah. the elephant that paints an elephant, does it know it's painting an elephant or is it painting just shapes that it's sort of like taught to paint? No, it's, it's, it's certainly the latter, but. You can probably look that up, right? Because if it's, if it's painting just the shape that it's learned, then yes. it's, then it's basically like a robot painting. Yeah. Yes, I agree. I, I don't actually, I, I agree with your statement. I'm just playing devil's advocate because 
Because everyone knows that painting elephant. Everyone's seen that video. If not, go watch it. And it's pretty amazing. It is, honestly. um, But I think you're right. I think there's a uniquely human trait that is born by being able to create art. Because it's like the mixing of having one foot in the world of the unconscious and the deep archetypal space and then being able to translate that through consciousness to to materialize it into the world to grab different objects and uh mediums to make that happen and you see it i don't know maybe you maybe you know Aaron, but like what's like the earliest cave paintings that we have is like extremely early in in the evolution of humanity that yeah. we start to see art and pottery and all of these more design elements coming through Right. It's not really something that's associated with uh, the greater animal kingdom. It's it's uniquely human. I'm gonna get it like a little a little meta, a little abstract here, and we don't have to follow this thread. But I do think that part of what separates humans from animals is culture, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, like, you have biological evolution that's going for a very very long time, billions of years, and then humans they have this thing called culture, right? They have consciousness. Yeah. And it's sort of like they're able to turn the world into objects. They're able to perceive the world as sort of like a place of materials and those objects can be interacted with Hmm. like tools, right? Humans can like pick up a stick and it becomes part of the arm now. And their ability to absorb objects is like this sort of materialism that's unique to humans. Hmm. And that's where you get culture. So I think that art in many ways is that process Hmm. where you're taking the objective world would say the world of objects and you're finding ways to abstract creative processes onto those things and that's why it is sort of uniquely human yeah yeah it's sort of it's it's not literal right. it's like taking yeah. things to like another sort of level you know mm-hmm. it's like the abstract level yeah you still have forms of art that are really grounded you know like the, the forming of pottery mm-hmm. um it, art that's really just kind of a, an expression without too deep of an intellectual process coming through, just mm. very instinctive and, and primordial in a way that is, I don't know, maybe it's hard for me to say like it's less refined than maybe what art has turned into over time where we've I gotten. Think it's definitely less refined. Yeah. yeah. Well, when you bring up pottery, like pottery started as a function, you know, yeah. it started off yeah. as like a, a practical use of something. And then I, I don't know but how the timeline works. We didn't have to make works. it beautiful, you know. We exactly. didn't have to give it shapes. I, I imagine that came yeah. later. Yeah. It's sort of like the decoration of it. Mm. But I, I, I don't know either. So, right. I mean, and so this gets into that kind of like age-old question or kind of like snobby argument of like what is and what is not art, mm. right? And that's it's it's complicated. I don't think there's like a a qualitative distance. Sorry, a qualitative difference as much as there's sort of a like quantitative difference Mm. as in like creativity can become so refined that it almost becomes like um cyclical Mm -hmm. where you're like getting like creative about being creative and it's like kind of ascending into like such an abstract realm it starts to become like quote unquote art Mm. like it's not functional except for being this creative act and the creative act itself is compelling but like at what point does pottery become art Mm. it's creative obviously if you're you're creating a pot you're engaging in some sort of creative process to do that yeah but when does it start to become art but i feel even having that conversation or that idea is what makes us human as well Mm -hmm. yeah because it's sort of like when when does one thing turn into another Mm. it's like 
it, it it's like a when does one practical thing turn into an abstract thing yeah and like i don't know i don't know any animals so really i don't know any <laughs> animals but i don't know if they think about that mm. yeah let's not pursue that thread <laughs> no, we don't. no we don't have um to. but let's get into like personal relationships with art a little bit so if you are a regular listener, you know that I'm a musician. I did the music for the podcast. So that's, well, I was artistic before that. But that, that really is sort of like the like main art form that I've engaged in. Mm. Like I, I started drawing first. That was like my first art form. And I think for like a lot of uh, kids, drawing is what comes first. And that kind of progressed into music, which mm-hmm. became a, like a lot more kind of glittering and like spectacular and like loud, obviously, which like yeah. drew my attention. Um but it came to me when like when I was like 15 is when I started playing music and it was something that felt very like unlimited and sort of full of potential, mm. like a kind of like a new landscape, almost like a gateway that like opens up where it's like there's an infinite world here to explore and it's pure and clean and like no one can like ruin it for you. And that was kind of like my introduction to art mm. through music is like why it was so powerful and why like it grabbed me so strongly was the kind of purity and beauty and potential within it. How do you contrast against the early uh, experience of, of drawing? Why didn't it hold that same sense of potential or purity? I think it did, but it wasn't quite as mature mm. yet. And probably if I'd never been exposed to music, I mean, whatever world that would be. But let's say I never like heard music as a kid. I'm sure I would have kept drawing and I probably would have been actually like really drawn, no pun intended, to drawing. <laughs> Um, and to continuing that, that art form, mm. because it is something that I kept doing through like freshman year, like I was in art class and my art teacher thought I was like incredibly good mm. as for my age at least. Yeah. And it was like, you should join like the advanced class next year. And then I didn't. I could venture a guess, but yeah. I don't know if it's going to be like kind of too jokey. Do it. My guess is that, uh, music gets girls <laughs> and, uh, uh drawing, that's, that's part of it. drawing doesn't. <laughs> No, that's, that's definitely part of their music. Music is sexy. Yeah. Um, undeniably. I mean, yeah, you could argue that like there's certain genres of music that are, like aren't very sexy, but like I kind of feel like all music is sort of sexy. For sure. Yeah. It's very yeah. embodied. It's very physical. Yeah. It makes you want to dance. It's something that's inherently, for the most part, a, meant to be performed. Yeah. Meant to be displayed. And it's not like your art piece that's being displayed. It's you. You're the art piece and also the music and your instrument that you're playing, but you... Right. Well. And that could get into a bigger conversation about like what is like the music scene or what yeah. is like pop, mm-hmm. which is like it's not just music. It's yeah. like it's like the image. It's the individuals. It's the idea of like the rock star For and the sure. way he dresses and how he like breaks all the rules and like has long hair. Yeah. And, like, there's like more of a personality and lifestyle to it. Right. Right. And that's very attractive to um, everyone, but like to, to young people, especially. Yeah. It's definitely. like. You have drawing and it's like, oh, this is fun. And then you have like, like sex and it's like, you know, it makes sense to be like, well, I'm going to go in that direction instead. Mm. But to be honest, I don't think my music has like helped me in the realm of girls at all. (laughs) Maybe if I had been like born like a few decades earlier or something like that in a different scene. But Mm. I think it's mostly disappeared to be what was like a pretty strange pastime. Mm. Yeah. But Andrew, tell us a little bit about your art. Oh, just sort of like my uh, introduction to it? Yeah, yeah. 
I mean, I, my introduction to it is sort of through my older cousin who was like really good. And, um, I guess it was just like a, a way to like kind of emulate that, but I, I did get more drawn to it, I think, because of just like as, as like kids, mm. a big, a big part, especially like in our upbringing is like kind of being raised by TV. So yeah. there is like cartoons and I think for me, ultimately, there's sort of like something spoke to me more about like stories and art was always just sort of like a vehicle to kind yeah. of like tell stories through. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. um, like even for for me right now, my my goal has always kind of just been to draw good enough in order to get like this story or this idea across. Yeah. I never really wanted to be like this amazing artist and I, I don't think I'm quite in that area anyway, but you know, um, that, that's sort of what, and that's when I speak to like communication as well. Like mm-hmm. art is sort of just like this, this medium to communicate something through. Right. So, I mean, was, was drawing for you in the context of comics or Dragon Ball Z to oh, begin well, with? Was that like, that was like yeah. what you were paying attention to? I mean, it wasn't Dragon Ball Z, but it was Dragon Ball, but yeah. Dragon Ball. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> that, that was sort of like my my introduction and like that started kind of the addiction yeah. to, to the whole thing. Did you start drawing Dragon Ball like imitation? I mean, I, I tried, but I wasn't really good at it. Yeah. So, yeah. But Im- imitation, I feel like is where it first starts usually. Yeah. Yeah. For all artists really. I mean, it, it, it also helps that like a lot of my friends were also really into like drawing. And I think, yes. I think kids in general are into drawing. Yeah. It seems like it. Yeah. And then they, they sort of like taper off as, as they get older. Usually. And that's, you know, you could, you could wonder why that is. I think partially is like people as they mature lose touch with their unconscious sort of, uh, free, uh, sort of careless side mm-hmm. that are just like so powerful in children, yeah. like the way that children are so playful and well, they like, like yeah. want to touch everything. And like, they're just like, well, like lie on the ground and stare at the sky and like not care about anyone who's watching. Yeah. Like that's mm-hmm. true for art as well. It's like, just like creation, creation, creation. Mm-hmm. Um, and as you like mature, there starts to be more of kind of like this narrowing, this structure, this idea of like, well, I need to act a certain way. And yeah, exactly. It's kind of like, it's kind of like anti art almost. The because process. there's like a, an individual, an individualism to yeah. art when you're that age. Mm-hmm. And then as you get older, you sort of like try to conform a little bit more. Yeah. And so you like kind of, lose that 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 bit of individualism yeah mm. how come you never conformed andrew i mean that's that's multi-layered i don't know if this is <laughs> if this podcast is going to be talking about we're talking about art we're not talking about uh all these other other factors it's true it's true this is a podcast about psychology though as well that's true we're going to analyze it now well i mean if we're going to go in <laughs> i would say i never conformed because I've always felt like an outsider. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And so I I never felt the need to kind of conform to anything, which is like good and and bad, you know? I think it's reflected in Andrew's art. If you get to see it, it's this sort of in like incredible mishmash of so many different elements going on. And yet it has like this unique tone to it. And what he said earlier about ultimately art being a vehicle for stories is true in relation to Andrew's work um, that the characters that sort of crop up from his imagination and the stories that come through to me have always been uh, so dynamic and it's really less about like 
details being perfect or making sure you got your great arts school degree, which by the way, really has one, but still it's like, it's, <laughs> it's about the, the entire experience that seems to communicate greater nuances and narratives and character, uh, sort of energy that comes through and off the page. And, and that's what I really find most compelling about his art. How would you describe your art, Andrew? In terms of like genres, influences, <laughs> the, the, what's the feeling that comes across? It sounds a art? little hokey, but I I, I've, I sort of deem it as like transcendental-ish. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Um, I don't quite want to call myself like a transcendental artist, but I do feel... It's probably a thing, right? I, I'm, I'm, I'm sure it's a yeah, thing. Yeah. And I'm actually a fan of a lot of them. But <laughs> Okay, okay. <laughs> but, uh... Yeah, I would say I like go, I lean kind of into that, but then also sort of like mix like a, a, a kind of cartoony sort of style to it as well. Yeah, it's, right. it's both like really heavy in the sense that I feel like I'm staring into like the eye of the universe and then also like lighthearted. Well, yeah, it's sort of that contrast is like yeah. that, the heavy and lightness yeah. is like kind of, I don't know if I'm going for it, but that's sort of like what I see. I think, I think that's, that's a good way I to think describe that's it. you yeah. as that art, as that form of self-expression, as a... A, yeah, the, the tension of the opposite. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, I think some of the recent work that you've done that's posted on your social media, and, and we'll link that in like show notes and things like that, mm-hmm. shows that really interesting mix between highly transcendental conceptual um, art coming through delivered in a way that is still relatable and interesting and funny. It's pretty funny still. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's a, it's a really unique mix. Right. I, th- I think that Andrew's art, I, th- I think a good way to phrase it is sort of like a tension of opposites is true. Is mm-hmm. that there's a lot of, there's a lot of beauty in it. Like it's very beautiful and cosmic, but mm-hmm. it's also like very ugly yeah. and like <laughs> depressing. Yeah. And it's like both at the same time, yeah. which yeah. is hard to do. Certainly. And it's, there is something very modern about it in a sense, because it is sort of like a hybrid Mm. of different styles like mm-hmm. it feels like it is a coming together of a lot of different influences and ideas uh into something that like feels very unique mm-hmm. and that's i think i think the mark of someone who's actually sort of found their voice mm-hmm. in art well yeah thank you i i don't think i found it yet i'm still kind of looking for it but well the search never ends right yeah, yeah. It but but it speaks to the idea that like you know art is sort of like a self-portrait of sorts yes like everything someone creates, it sort of has to come from a certain place inside of them. Right. Mm. And so they're expressing a part of themselves through every, every piece. Right. Right. I think art, I mean, there's probably exceptions. Well, I mean, especially if you get into like classic artists, I would say that like all art is like autobiographical. Yeah. Especially okay. like stories, like novels and stuff. It's like mm-hmm. usually autobiographical in mm-hmm. some way. Like you're taking parts of your own life, your own experiences, you're, placing yourself as the main character in some way because like how else can you create and you know you might like look at like da vinci or something and say like is that autobiographical and like hmm, hard to say but certainly um but like even with like you say da vinci i i I would say and maybe this is like a little too woo woo but i would say that like every stroke sort of like is lived experience that's sort of like getting put down onto the the canvas of swords. Right. That sounds like an art critic. 
<laughs> like every stroke you could see one minute of his life. But this is what I'm saying. It's like kind of woo woo, but yeah. like that there is a part no, of me that really does believe that. Yeah. Yeah. I remember it reminds me of like one quote about like Keith Moon, who was the drummer of the who, which is like, he didn't need to practice. You know why? Because he lived it. Yeah. Which I always thought was such a stupid quote. It's like, Wait, that's what dumb. That, what does that mean? Like his life was so extreme and intense and like crazy that like he didn't need to practice drums. Huh. Like he just had to sit down and just like live. Let it out. And just like, it's like, that's just his life. Well, does it mean that, but does it also mean that he practices so much? Like he just lives the drums. Right. Right. Yeah. Like yeah, it's not I, I practice. Mean, I guess re-examining the quote, I'm not sure. I'm not sure what it meant. Mm. Maybe when Keith Moon died, it's like he died the way he lived, which is like on <laughs> the drum kit, like literally on the drum kit. Wait, did he actually? No, I don't no. think so. Oh, okay. I don't think it, it's like Spinal Tap or something where the, <laughs> the, the drum kit explodes while he's playing it for some reason. Yeah. I don't think that's how yeah. Keith Moon, he probably died of drugs or alcohol or something. Yeah. I don't remember. Mm, okay. Is it my turn to talk about art yeah. in my life? Yes, it is your turn, I Alyssa. I say this with so much... Uh, trepidation because I've always considered myself to be artistically inclined, but not an artist like creative yet, not traditional in any way. And kind of from a very early age. And I remember drawing like a picture of a dog and it was so weird, but it came like that was my dog. That's how I would draw it every single time. <laughs> mm. Weird big nose, like tail, like in a vertical. It was so odd. But we'll, even we'll that, post the drawing in the show yeah, notes. I'll yeah. I'll redraw it for everybody. <laughs> um, but I just had no discernible talent in that way. I was uh, an athlete and a pretty good one growing up, and then got into music in high school, and that really became, I would say, an art form for me. But that's even that has felt like a stress relationship. Mm. What do I always say? Like, I'm not a musician. I'm not a real musician. Well, okay. Not to overanalyze this or anything, but it's I, okay. I feel it's, it's my turn. I feel a part of it is an, uh, like an overjudgment. Certainly. Like you say, you're not an artist, yes. but, but like everyone is an artist. Yes. Mm -hmm. Well, that kind and of. And so you're, you're putting a block yes. every time you say I like, agree. I'm not an artist. Yes. Oh, I'm not a musician. Right. Because I'm looking at it through a very particular lens or comparing it to And like, it's like compared to what? Yeah. Well, it being in a group of highly artistic people, it's like, you know, in, in, in obvious overt ways, drawers, painters, you know, musicians, it's just like, wow, incredible. But I have followed those threads and felt like when I'm really in a flow state, like playing music, it feels like art to me. Mm -hmm. Although sometimes I've struggled to kind of write songs that felt authentically creative. Um, but I'd say most recently as I've kind of worked outside of like a traditional artistic space, the work that I'm doing now kind of I don't know, sort of uh, traversing like the realms of the psyche and weaving together these different parts, um, reading through symbolic systems. I feel like I'm doing art when that's happening. And I've had these yeah. moments where I feel like this is my art. This is me like weaving together these patterns and seeing these things and getting in flow state and feeling deeply creative, feeling it just flow out of me. And I wonder like, is this what everyone else feels like when they're painting or something? Mm -hmm. So it, it feels like a little non-traditional um, in that sense, but that same sort of channel that's being tapped into that I imagine other uh, more practice artists might 
uh, relate to. Right. I mean, I think as Andrew just said, it's like everyone is creative and everyone could be an artist mm-hmm. in some way if they were actually able to find the right environment yeah. or right medium yeah, the for right them. Medium. And everyone, everyone has different personalities. Yeah. But, you know, if we were going to get into like typology, for instance, like mm-hmm. your personality type might be drawn to a certain way of being creative, yeah. which would be different yeah. to yeah. my personality type, yeah. for instance. And like you might find that people who are really F.E. or mm-hmm. extroverted feeling types like yeah. OSA is, um, there might be a more kind of uh, primordial, deeper, more unconscious way of being creative mm. that doesn't necessarily produce like these super tangible products of like a painting right incredibly tangible but like um if you're someone who's going to like organize social events or organize social experiences like you're doing Mm -hmm. now like with your classes and workshops you're building them from scratch and you're taking you know you're taking some ideas and influences from other people and around because that's what artists do but you are creating things from scratch Mm -hmm. and they are like interesting products that you just come up with on your own and that might be because of your personality type. Yeah. And so it's hard to say, <clears throat> you know, I, th- I mean, yeah, I think it does sound kind of like cheesy to be like everyone can be an artist. Yeah. Maybe not. But it, I, th- I think it's true that there are different levels, different layers. There's art within art within art. There's yeah. zoomed out art and zoomed yeah. in art. Mm-hmm. There's all these different ways that but, you could find a creative medium that fits your personality. Yeah. But, but that's sort of what I... Because everyone, to me, everyone is an artist. And then when you go to the idea of like, well, is it good or bad art? Mm. Because good or bad art is still art. And then that's going to get into like this whole other big thing. Yeah. (laughs) But, which is why I'm like almost the wrong person to talk about this. Or maybe the right person. Or maybe the right. I don't know. Sounds like you have a rebuttal, Orion. Right. I mean, if everyone agrees on a podcast, it's not very interesting. Which is why we should probably like record more arguments between me and Alyssa. We don't really do that. <laughs> no, but that happens off air quite a bit. Um, there's all this argumentation that happens before recording the episode. That's and true. then once we hit record, it's like we act really nice to each other. You should just but. have a side <laughs> podcast that sort of is just like that that argument. It's be like really short. Yeah, what would it be called? <laughs> I'm not even gonna try. Okay. Um, yeah, not right now. <laughs> so uh, It'll be the shadow of the golden shadow. Ooh. Shadow of the golden shadow. That's not bad. Golden shadow, shadow. Golden shadow squared. Shadow squared. Gotta write this down. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, my rebuttal. Like, what were we even talking about? We're talking about oh, good yeah. and bad art. Good and bad art. Everyone's an artist. <sighs> Should we even get into this? Good and bad. Well, I mean, uh, when okay. else are you going to get into? What I other just, podcasts are you going to get can into? Can I just on? set the stage a moment? To be clear, Andrew, Please. I feel like what you're saying is that art should be kind of taken as it is and kind of putting that value judgment of this is good or that is bad ultimately is not really in service to like the full capacity of everyone's ability to create art. And maybe Aaron is saying there is a kind of way to look at these on a, on a spectrum of. Yeah. I would say, I, I would agree with you. There's a hierarchy of art, mm. but I would say that the divisions are very loose and um, very subjective to a degree as well. Yes, definitely. To a degree, definitely. There's, um, I mean, I'll make a statement, which is that I, I think that art is functional because everything it has some sort of function to it. It's sort of defined by it, like things in the universe have some sort of function, which gives them their shape mm-hmm. and their organization. Art is 
accomplishing something. And maybe that's communicating a message, communicating an emotion, mm. evoking something. And so if art does that well, you might say it's successful art or it's functional art or it's good art. But it also depends like if the artist, were they attempting to create that message Ooh. and how close was the art to that message? <laughs> Or it should be interpreted as like, it doesn't matter what the artist was trying to do. Whatever the audience gets out of the art mm. defines whether or not it is good or that, bad. That's, that's more where I lean. It's both, I think. Yeah. But I would say, I think people do make absurd statements sometime where it's like, there's no such thing as good and bad art. Like all art is just art. And like, it's just your opinion, man. And I'm like, no, I don't think so. <laughs> Is it but, relative? It is relative, it's but, it's, relative. but it's not absolutely relative. Mm. Yeah. Right? Uh, That's where I'm coming from. I, I'm hesitant to just agree with that, but I, I see where you're coming from. What's your opinion? I think it's very relative. Mm. Um, we can't really illustrate this very well, though. No, we, I, we could, I We could throw up paintings and be like, good or bad? And then we could argue about it. I mean, they have done why, like... But, I've read that they have done yeah. studies across cultures mm. to see like what is good and what is bad art. And I think ultimately what sort of like comes out on top mm -hmm. is landscapes. And I think okay. that's because it's something like that's that. sort of mm. shared amongst people. As in the art that is rated the most highly universally. No. Tends to well, be it's, it's the most commonly highly rated, but I wouldn't say it's the top of any of those in that study. Okay. But reliably, people like landscape paintings sort of universally. Hmm. I, I believe that's what the study was sort of I mean, it like. Makes kind total of showing. Sense. It makes sense. It makes sense because yes. nature is beautiful and yes. that's ingrained within us. Yes. Yeah. There isn't a, a cultural tone to uh, nature ultimately. Yes, you can have certain land that you know it's from this part of the world, mm. but you have these kind of cultural undertones in different areas of art that might make it kind of off-putting to yeah. a, another person who who it isn't communicating to. Yet the land will always communicate. Right. What yeah. was I was saying, it's like, I go hiking around and I'm talking to this formation and I'm feeling in commune with the land. Like, the land is art. It's mm -hmm. like, who made this? Like God made this and it's incredible and I can't fathom it. And it communicates something deep and meaningful. The artistry of a mountainside, of a forest, of a river, like winding through a valley. Yeah. It's, it's, it's breathtaking. Uh, yeah. Cause I feel a landscape sort of brings two things together. Mm -hmm. It's sort of the, the nature that we see with the human touch added mm -hmm. to it. Mm -hmm. So it's sort of like bringing together this idea of like humanity mm. on top of the universe or like the world, you know? Right. Right. I mean, a painting is different than a photograph. Yes. Yeah. And, yeah. He, and even a photograph has sort of an artistic spin on it. Oh, totally. Yeah. yeah. But like a lot of painting, I mean, if you just like look at like Monet or Da Vinci, not Da Vinci, sorry, uh, Van Gogh, it's like, it's not photographic mm -hmm. the way they're painting. Like there's definitely a lot of paintings that are attempting to be as photographic as possible. And then they're like more impressionist. Yeah. And there's something that's being conveyed in the landscape. It's, it's like a feeling. More, it's a feeling, right? Yeah. It's, it's sort of like a phenomenological thing of like the phenomena of nature as opposed to like literally nature. That's pretty abstract. But Do we have any insight for our listeners about tapping more deeply into this creative well of art, how to find their expression? Right. We're getting into the 
part of the show where it's like, you can try this at home. Like, <laughs> It's important, it is though, important. you know? Yeah. Because I think there's people who maybe desire to bring that more alive within themselves mm -hmm. who maybe deny it or maybe go through a similar experience like me, which is like, I'm, I, I'm not an artist yet. I have the, the desire or the impulse to. How does one nurture this? How do they find their voice well, in art? I, I would say the easy answer, and it's obviously more complicated, but the e easy answer is to get out of your own way mm. because we stop ourselves so much yeah there's like always like that kind of second guessing yeah so like the the ability to get out of your own way is sort of like how you can sort of like self-express mm -hmm. to a degree yeah so to try and like ground that a little more like like specifically in examples um if you just create and tell yourself that like it really doesn't matter how the product turns out and like one way to do that is like just tell yourself that like you're going to do, I already, I already said this, but like you're going to do like a hundred drawings. And if one of them is good, that's a success. Mm -hmm. And that takes off all this pressure. It like opens the gateway and you yeah. can just like walk through it where it's like, okay, like I don't need to just sit down and create a masterpiece every time. Yeah. Cause that is like the amateur's trap. I would say yeah. is like the idea of like sit down and write a book, like back to front. Sorry, not back to front. That <laughs> sense. Maybe someone says that. Uh, but write a book. The Japanese write back to front. Yeah, there you exactly. go. Exactly. <laughs> uh, write a book like front to back. Like just sit down and do it. And yeah. it's like, that's not going to work. Like you don't know what you're doing if you think that's going to happen. You have to yeah. sit down and you're going to say, I'm going to write 100 pages and I'm going to throw out 90 of them. And then I'm going to like go to those 10 pages and probably throw out another nine of them. And then actually I might just throw out the last page and start <laughs> no. over. And you have to be okay with that. Yeah. And that frees you up to just create. Just right. like, just go. There's no pressure. No one's watching. Like, just do it. Yeah. And like, if it sucks, it doesn't matter. Like, it, it's it's withholding that judgment, that like mm -hmm. sort of judging side of yourself, mm -hmm. right? That yeah. needs to do things like kind of perfectly. Then you realize it's all perfect anyway. <laughs> so, <laughs> anyways, if if you were sorry, I'll, I'll let you. No, one last okay. thing about this, like, if you were to, I, I always use music examples because I think about this a lot more than other forms of art. But if you take like a really good band, let's say you take like the Rolling Stones. And you just think that every time they write a song, it ends up on an album and you hear it. Yeah. It's like, no, you don't yeah. understand. There are probably like literally thousands of songs that Keith Richards and Mick Jagger wrote mm. that you never heard yeah. because they weren't good and they just threw them out. Or they made it to B-sides and you heard those. Yeah. But there's also like C-sides and D-sides. And mm. the thing is like the part of the process of art is like scraping away the mess of like what doesn't belong, like the wheat from the chaff, right? Yeah. And keeping what does belong. And the illusion is the artist just like somehow just like masterpiece, masterpiece. And mm. like, it's not really true. Yeah. It's kind of trusting and leaning into a process, having faith that as you dabble in it, as you dip your toes into that water, that you're going to navigate the parts of it that feel uncomfortable and challenging. Yet soon you will gain strength through practice, through trusting yourself and your stroke gets stronger. I don't know why I'm doing this like swimming metaphor, but... Um, stroke works for painting. It's fine. <laughs> mm -hmm. It's true. But that's kind of what it feels like. I don't know. It reminds me of when I was first learning to like play guitar and how impossible it felt. Um, or even like lately I've been telling Andrew, like, I want to learn how to paint. I want to watercolor. I'm just feeling this impulse and this urge and then sit down to do it and it's awful. And I'm just like, man, like, it's like you have to catch that judging uh, narrative coming through. And it's not even like I want it to be a masterpiece. I feel clumsy. I feel 
like childlike and that's almost part of the fun right is like returning to that place of youthful creativity and imaginative capacity and actually leaning into the mindset of not knowing what you're doing and just expressing getting into a flow state just allowing it to come out and being okay with the product it's that and and practice and repetition and it's like kind of what Arn was talking about it's like the thousands of songs you don't hear yeah like art is 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 magic you know it's sort of like how I believe it was like Penn and Teller or something. And he was saying that like, like illusionary magic is essentially someone doing a trick is just seeing someone who's willing to put in thousands of hours into doing something really simple. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But like they hide all of the, that's all true. the work. That's true. Yeah. And that's like what magic is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And magic is just simply like hiding your work. It's true. Like the magic of like the band all being in sync and mm-hmm. the song is fucking awesome and it's like how how is this possible it's like everyone is so practiced everyone's tapped into that artistry Mm -hmm. and you don't get to see all of the hours and hours or years and years it took to get to that point right and that's part of like the carving of of grit and personality and experience is just working through it and chiseling away and away until you get to a product that feels that you feel confident about. Right. The, the magic trick, the illusion is, is definitely a, a good way to frame it. And, um, what the artist or the musician like doesn't want you to know is like how difficult and how much suffering is involved with creation. Yeah. And it's like, the illusion is like, wow, like being Jimi Hendrix would be so fun. Like, look at him on the stage. Like, I wish I could do that. And then like, and then he like dies at 27 and it's like, Oh, why did, why did that happen? It's like, maybe he wasn't very healthy. Maybe he like destroyed himself becoming an artist. Right. Same with like Van Gogh, Kurt yeah. Cobain. Like yeah. there's all these ways of like, I wish I was Kurt Cobain. It's like, no, you don't. Like, <laughs> yeah. you don't know what you're talking about. If you think that, like, it'd be so cool to write smells like team spirit. And it's like, you would die if you did that. Like, yeah. is it worth it to you? Um, but, but again, he gained immortality. He gained immortality. That's when I think about it. Um, but also, I mean, like, you know, the idea, like, you see Jimi, Hend- Jimi Hendrix on stage, like, you look up a video on YouTube of him performing at Woodstock, and you, know, you just think, like, oh, Jimmy just, like, walked up to a guitar, and he just knew how to do that somehow. Jimmy, just, like, the <laughs> magic guitar guy, he just knows how to shred like crazy, and it's like, no, he just played for tens of thousands of hours. Yeah. His entire life was sacrificed to, to guitar. Mm. But this is also where another aspect of what art is comes to mind, and, mm. it, and it's that art is essentially love. Mm. And when someone is really good at their art form, it's because they genuinely are connected and love it. True. Yeah. So when you speak to like kind of Jimi Hendrix or like Keith Moon, when he says that he lives his, his drumming, I think that is like a, (laughs) it's an aspect of loving it. Like it's a part of you. Definitely. Yes. Definitely. And like Jimi Hendrix, I don't think you could separate him from a guitar. Like I, I just no, probably not. I think there's like a lot of stories of like when he was like in the service, like yeah. he just always had a guitar on him. Yeah, and then he got like dishonorably discharged. I don't remember why. I think he was masturbating or something <laughs> publicly while playing guitar. I mean, because like he can't stop practicing ever. So <laughs> he's like in basic training, but also playing guitar. Well, I mean, I mean honestly, like I, uh, this is not a joke. I bet Jimi Hendrix uh-huh. would poof while playing guitar yeah like that's probably how much he played guitar yeah just like any free moment like sitting on the toilet let's play yeah. and just like just and so, that's what guitar. i mean by like love like right. it's yeah. it's a matter of like it's a part of you yeah and, and it, it, it's it, something that comes out it plays into like this sort of like archetypal like uh 
not like wounded artist. What's the term I'm looking for? Like it's like tortured artist. Thank you. Like the tortured doomed artist. And like what's, I would love to get both of your perspectives on what Mm. you think is really going on when someone moves into that pattern of life. What's, what's happening where they're so connected to that art that it's all encompassing. And many times they, they sort of burn out in, in a blaze of glory yet still do burn out. Maybe not in a blaze of glory. Not a lot of people mm-hmm. just burn out and it's like really like, like stupid. It's true. Not, not like, well, that wasn't very Some cool. die on a toilet. Some die on a toilet. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Elvis was an artist. Okay. That's what, that's what I was saying. <laughs> died on a toilet. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, I'm going to get really abstract about it, but that uh, biological evolution is one thing that draws us in really sharply, like family, sex, mm-hmm. having children. Mm-hmm. Cultural evolution is something else that draws us in really sharply too, which is like creative like cultural acts like like bringing things into material manifestation building systems constructing artifacts and that draw is very strong like both draws like the biology and the culture is very strong for humans and the cultural draw can just be so overwhelming that the biology loses Mm. and the culture just absorbs you so like this cultural cultural evolution just like basically absorbs you into its energy and you just completely lose yourself in like this like amazing glittering magic mm. of creation yeah and because of that maybe you don't get married you don't have kids uh maybe you don't eat like your biology falls apart yeah. in favor of like creation 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 and it can be like really addictive in that way mm-hmm. and i do think that some personalities are just really drawn to the culture as opposed to the biology mm. if that that's really abstract way to think about it but yeah, I like that. <laughs> I, I don't know why I interjected with it. Yeah, I don't have a I don't have a thing to to say about it. But. What do you, What do you think about the the doomed artist? What do you think's going on? I mean, I'm jealous of them. Mm, that's <laughs> to fair. a degree. It's fair. It's fair. Like I I I kind of wish I was that obsessed, but maybe I don't actually wish I was that obsessed. I feel like this is similar. Aaron's always said you thought you would join the 27 club something oh, me? like, yeah, like musician who like makes it. And then it's there, there's an impulse. I think when the you, making when it part wasn't maybe part not the of it. making it. Like, part. I'm going to make it and then I'll die at 27. <laughs> it was like, no, I think I might just die at 27. <laughs> but I think it's tied to a feeling of utilizing all of this life energy, all yeah. that, all of that being funneled into something extremely intensely at a, sh- in a short, in a short amount of time. Amount of yeah. time. Like you, you feel all of this potential for things to materialize yeah. within you. And then it kind of like you used it all up and very quickly. Cause a lot of those artists who did die at that age, it's kind of, a, it's like they were so brilliant. I mean, it's a really big question. Yeah. And I mean, even if like you're asking me mm-hmm. like about like my personal feelings, like that's an even bigger question. Sure. Of, like I've like had feelings and this is going to sound like really like dark, but like I've definitely had feelings my entire life. That I was going to die young mm. and I still honestly kind of feel that way Yeah. That for some reason, like I'm just going to die young. Um, and I've been proved wrong so far. I'm still alive. Um, but you're still young, still, yeah. <laughs> young ish. Young ish. Yeah. I mean, everyone is staying younger longer nowadays. Um, but the sort of doomed artist I think is someone who is not only caught in the vortex of creation mm. with how powerful and beautiful it is yeah. and like the, the gamble of it mm. of like 
you can't achieve anything brilliant without risking a lot. True. And like that can be incredibly enticing to people. And I'll say it, especially men, it's like they're much more reckless. Mm. And they're much more drawn to this idea of like, maybe I'll just go all in on like my art, like all my chips into the table and like, what if I win? What if I make it? I'll be like, great. I'll be powerful. Like, I'll be remembered. And like, that's actually incredibly enticing. And I would say that still ties into like what I was saying. It's like the, the sort of cultural current of like this brilliant magic. It's like, you want to be a part of that. So you could, you know, you could like get a job at the hardware store and like have three kids and like, that's a good life. Like a lot of people are just like, that's boring. Just like, why? What's the point of that? And I think that more and more people get pulled into the creation vortex because of how much power it has in it. And also how much like, honestly, like how much cheaper it is than like having children. Like that's another concept. Like it's like, if you're going to devote your life to like having kids or being an artist, it's like being an artist is cheaper. Having kids is expensive nowadays. And like the whole prospect of it is like, that's so much work. How am I even going to do that? Where it's like, I know how I could like become a good painter. I just like keep doing what I'm doing. Just like be on my computer and just like, on Photoshop, just like illustrating all day, it's yeah. like that's really cheap. So that's well, one more aspect. B- of it, building but. off of what you're saying, I would I would say that there's also an element of almost like it's a it's like a lottery ticket to immortality. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, it, you're it sort of like you're sort of like buying into this this potentiality of being yeah. remembered, and yeah. I think that is also another aspect that like speaks to humanity is like not being forgotten. <laughs> Yeah. Well, and and you're speaking to it on this massively collective scale where like on a more individual level, on a more grounded level, your your memory and your impact lives on when you do create a family and when you do pass that on and and the lineage continues, but those cultural icons affect things in these massive ways where their art and their impact is felt over generations. And and with masses of people, which is sort right. of like a, a a psychic intensity. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. It's very rare, though, that anyone has that kind of ripple effect. Oh, yeah. But, oh. When, but when they do, yeah. it's just like. Which yeah. is why I'm saying it's like a lottery ticket. Right. To, right. To, to, that, to that place. Anyways, that's how you can do art at home. <laughs> oh, drugs help, too? Drugs. A few more tips. Um, dr- drug, let's, let's be like really quick about this. Uh, drugs can kind of like dip you into, like submerge you into a more unconscious state or yes. where like it deframes your normal rational patterns yeah. and allows that sort of generative, again, that generative process of mm-hmm. art as opposed to like the editing sculpting part. The generative process can like really like go crazy and you can have all these crazy insights and ideas because you're deframing your normal, rational, sober yeah. experience. Right. And also not judging. Yeah. Like you're kind of not judging what's coming out of you. True. I hear. I don't know. We've never tried drugs before. I've never tried it before. We just read about it. Um, More tips. Um, Set up your environment. Like if one way to get out of your own way is to make creating art less tedious Mm -hmm. and less like, okay, I got to set up my easel and like put up like the uh, canvas and like get all my art tools out by which I mean paintbrushes and paint and like got to get all set up and that's going to take me like 30 minutes. It's like, just have it all set up yeah. and have it, if you if you can afford this, most people can't, but if you can afford to have like a dedicated space to creation, you can just step in and create for five yeah. minutes and be like, okay, back to work. Yeah. And the the ease of that, like you get out of your own way by setting up your environment. It, yeah. It's removing the barriers to entry. Yes. Exactly. And it's just sort of like the way to like accomplish anything in general is sort of like take out 
the unnecessary steps you kind of have to like the obstacles that you have to like step over to get to it one more tip uh if you can't be good be weird (laughs) seriously because like trying to be a good artist is actually really difficult and if you're imitating well-known good artists Mm. you're going to be like this looks retarded like like i tried to imitate this a really amazing painting by Raphael and like I just like it looks stupid it's like don't try to be good like try being weird well yeah. is it being weird or is it just being yourself <laughs> that's I mean I think ultimately that's what it is yeah but I think it's it's simple if you don't know who you are you can't say just be yourself when you do art it's yeah, like, yeah some yeah. people don't know what that means I, I agree I agree but it's like embrace the lo-fi embrace the like true yes poor quality yeah yeah embrace like this strange thing that you made that like doesn't make any sense like lean into that as opposed to like trying to make it good quote unquote yeah okay can i throw in an extra tip yeah i think the cultivation of community where individuals do art Mm -hmm. is extremely powerful a sense of support system where you can practice together, where you can just be at ease as you do art, you're sharing, but you're not in each other's face. Mm. It just has this quality of creating a support system that allows you to just ease into your identity as an artist and to get that counterbalance of another opinion, you know, for to have someone step in and assist you um, for you to help somebody else and also getting different points of view, seeing other people's art, getting inspired by it. So if it's possible, even online communities, honestly, can emulate this in a lot of ways, just creating that hub of creative energy with, with others. Andrew, one last tip. I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll add emotional intensity. Okay. And this isn't like, don't, don't do this at home or whatever, <laughs> but pain and discomfort. <laughs> is like a really interesting driving force, but only because they're like intense. I I would say you can do it also with like positive intensity, but I would say that's just harder to come by. Mm. Or maybe that just speaks to my personality. Well, I mean, there's two ways, two questions I have. First, first, I guess, first is a statement. Creation art can be a great way to vent yeah. So if you are yes. experiencing a lot of pain and suffering in your life, for like instance, create art then. you've just gone through a big breakup. Yes. That's actually a really good time to create. Yes. And you'll find that a lot of really powerful pieces of art can be created out of suffering, out of pain, out of like mm-hmm. intense emotion like that. Yeah. It is kind of rare that you're like, I'm so content that I'm going to create like this brilliant work of art. It's like, mm. Probably not. It's it, like it happens, but those are like probably really technically good artists as well. Sure, true, sure, true. Where it's like when where arts were almost like an athletic competition. And yeah, of like yes. a creative. Ass, That's a, why a, the event. sophomore album's never as good. Like right, the band has made it. Uh, we've got, got all this money and like all these fans, <laughs> and it's like, and then they just create like this like totally derivative piece of crap. Yeah. And, um, a, a different aspect I would say is like Andrew, are you saying that like maybe you should like sit on a really uncomfortable chair? <laughs> And your art will be better if you I, do that. I think it's different for different people. Yeah. I, I'm speaking more to emotional and like pain and intensity. Okay. So like if I'm not saying to engender these things to happen in your life, but if they do happen to like, like art is a really good way to like kind of cope and vent yeah, process. Yeah. and yeah. process yes. things because you're sort of getting into a different mind space. And, and then the, the, the feeling of creation is also like really therapeutic yeah, and feels cathartic. great. Yeah. So it's a good tip. It's like emotional intensity, but yeah. don't, don't purposefully <laughs> fuck up your life. <laughs> don't like 
about yourself. Yeah, don't do that. Art. Like this, honestly, it's like not really that funny. But no, seriously, it's like you shouldn't. You shouldn't actually damage yourself or tap into purity of emotion of what you're feeling, even if it's on the on that other side of the spectrum. I think like powerful creation comes from desire as well, and that feeling of trying to. Uh, grasp something to make something happen and and there's probably a sense of wounding in that as well but it doesn't have to just come from a pure amount of pain if you don't have that if you're not experiencing it look for where the energy sources are in your life and in your psyche that's what i would say where are things pooling and create from there all right kids now go out there and create Okay, now it's time for a dream from a member of our audience. This is from a 25-year-old female. And here's the dream. I learned of golden items kept in a nearby reliquary by a god named Death. A gain asked me to help steal them. I hesitated, but agreed after convincing myself that the items were just trinkets. We succeeded, but before I left, death created a whirlwind around me that killed 15 thieves and passers-by. I realized the items were important, stole them back, and tried to return them via a locked door, but failed each time. Death tried to kill me, but I wouldn't let her. Hmm. A lot of interesting dynamics going on in this dream and I think uh, of course what's the most striking is death um, as not only this personification as a, as a protector and guardian of these golden items but also as this force uh, to really be reckoned with that is actually bringing dynamic death into the dream and the dreamer themselves usually we talk a little bit about the context that might be provided um, the dreamer didn't actually give us much actually very little and so what i would say like the instinctual response to this dream is to look at this from an extremely archetypal lens to kind of look at the greater nature of the images and the symbols and how that impacts us on greater collective archetypal levels and hopefully if the dreamer is listening they can kind of get something more deeply out of that collective uh, interpretation because Already death is such a striking image, change, transformation, the kind of movement between worlds that comes with, with the nature of death being personified. We see her in this dream. Another interesting note, death is female. Mm, yeah, uh, this, this sort of um, archetypal story of stealing something from a god, I think you can even pinpoint like a few pop culture examples mm. like princess mononoke like they steal the god's head mm. and the god like wants it back obviously and they don't really get away with it yeah um and harry potter like death gives the the three brothers the deathly hollows like mm. these three magical items but like death feels cheated by what's ha what happens sure. and like um keeps searching for the last brother who has the the uh cloak invisibility um, but this idea of stealing from a god, I think, is really interesting because it's it's very cosmic uh, in its sort of scope. 
the idea that you would take something that belongs like to the cosmos that kind of belongs to the universe and take it with you. It's like, you're really playing with fire. You're kind of dipping into some realm that you really don't belong and you're messing with like these structures of reality. Yes. And like, you're not going to get away with it. Yeah. Even from like the mythological point of view, Prometheus, who is a Titan and a God steals fire right brings it to humanity better example and still has to pay for it mm-hmm. you don't get to cheat these dynamics these kind of universal principles where ultimately death comes for everybody or change comes for everybody transformation mm-hmm. will happen in some form even if we try to cheat it so we're kind of seeing that playing out in this dream can i talk <laughs> of course you can yes. okay share your thoughts um, please. I, I think uh, Yes to all the things you guys are saying. I would say another aspect that is sort of like um, uh, that I find interesting is that there's the gang, which which to me represents almost like society or like the masses sort of like convincing this person to do something Mm. that they don't want to do, which is sort of like disrupt this this cosmic order. Yes. And there's like the, the kind of like the hubris of society is sort of like a bad influence on you, you know, it's mm-hmm. like making you do things that, yes. you, that you don't want. Yes. Getting mm-hmm. caught up in like the collective group think, especially when those tides are powerful and archetypal, people feel gripped in these really strong dynamics that are pulling everybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And she's hesitant because she knows deep down that she shouldn't be doing this. Yes. Right. But it's yeah. also very tempting. But it is tempting. Like yeah. The, the, the things that belong to but, gods. But but she said she only did it because she was convinced that they weren't important. Yes. True. That, yeah. That the items were just trinkets. So if she, by thinking that were important, she, she knows that they're, you know, shouldn't be touched. But because they convinced her that it's fine, she decided to do it. Yeah, there's an interesting dynamic going on here where there's a recognition of something holy, something sacred that's being protected by by death and something that needs to be kept safe uh, from the greater collective wanting to destroy it in some mm. form or steal it, whatever it might be. And that coming into play in the dream sort of triggers this event that causes the death, what is it, 15 thieves and passersby. Um, are killed in this process because death creates a whirlwind. And we think about the hubris of man, maybe just the, the the psychic ties that we get pulled into and what are the casualties that come from us not holding on to our sense of uh, morals, ethics, um, respecting sacredness even. How yeah. does that come into play? And also like how is this a compensation or a commentary for this dreamer? Very curious, hard to speak to that, but what's going on in this dream and how is that pictured against the dreamer's individual life? Are they feeling pulled into certain tides that they maybe need to question? Have they stepped into that? And this is acting as another viewpoint. Mm. Um, Because I think the dream, especially the way it ends, when we want to look at that license, we want to look at the closure is that she realizes that the items are important. She steals them back tries to return them via a locked door and cannot do it. And there's a feeling that sometimes when you've burned a bridge or when you've moved through something, there is no going back. You Something's been triggered in the environment. Mm-hmm. And maybe the only way to really bring balance to this is to move forward rather than trying to return back to a place which cannot be returned to. 
Right. So her actions result in the deaths of innocent people. Mm -hmm. And so she's kind of like playing with the fabric of reality or or playing with some sort of uh, cosmic structure. Mm. And when you do that, like you don't actually get away with it. Like you can't actually just like twist reality and have it stay put. Like it snaps back and like punishes you Mm. for trying to break the rules, which you actually can't break. And so there is some sort of uh, playing around this idea of like trying to change something that you can't and paying for it or um, trying to warp your own trajectory or your own life in a way that actually isn't feasible and reality snaps back and like um, takes something from you. You lose. Like it's, a, it's like a net loss overall. And as you said, it's something that you can't undo. Mm-hmm. Death being feminine is very interesting. I'd like to hear you guys' thoughts, but some of the initial things that come to mind is the Egyptian goddess uh, Maat, uh, goddess of law and morality and justice and how like when souls die and they're brought in to that space they they are judged and like i think it's like weighed against like her feather or something like mm-hmm. that and so there's this feeling that uh the feminine goddess will kind of weigh the the actions of an individual and allow you to come through like the the, the higher moral principle the higher principle of justice will allow you to move through those worlds or to maybe linger forever in uh in a kind of uncertain space to not have that that feeling of transformation so it's bringing in a really interesting feminine principle of of death kind of coming in and and structuring this to to adhere to this uh, kind of moral authority of things being broken or things being um, desecrated in some way and there Mm. is no turning back like the you weigh against the feather and you do not go forward the door stays locked yeah, I mean, the question of feminine masculine when it comes to death, mm. you know, I mean, I think you can argue about it quite a bit, but it really just depends on, like, what aspect of death you're even entertaining. Sure. I, I would typically think of death as being feminine. That's my instinct. Yeah. But that's because I think of creation as being feminine. Mm. I think of death and creation sort of coming from the same oh. or origin. Interesting. I, I find creation to be masculine and death to be sort of be feminine. So they sort of like play off of each other in that way. But that's, that's like in my own sort of like viewpoint. I don't, I don't know if that's, you know, supported by anything. Explain it. Um, Masculine creation. For me, it's like the generative process of creation, as I was talking about earlier in the episode, as opposed mm-hmm. to the sculpting, editing. Uh, okay. Part. I see. That's yeah, like, yeah. That seems feminine. I would say those seem different to me as well. Mm. Like the, the birthing of creation yeah. definitely is feminine. Yeah, that's that's more what I think about. But like creation. the sculpting of creation mm. feels more masculine to I me. I agree. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um so yeah, it depends on like what what form like yeah. you like you're saying. These are symbols, so they're going to have this multifaceted nature to them and we can look at them through this kind of kaleidoscope lens and see yeah. it through a more masculine and feminine principle. Mm. This was even a question that was posed to me in an event that I did, is death masculine or feminine? Mm-hmm. And my feeling is just like both, you know? Like we see these principles, these kind of universal dualities at play or mm-hmm. you can look at like the story of Hades and Persephone and recognize like there's a balance when when the underworld is ruled by both the king and the queen, we need both kind of coming in. And so this dreamer specifically having the image of death as feminine says something about their psyche, mm-hmm. some, some expression of that symbol coming in through the feminine tone. 
maybe with more insight, we could speculate a little bit more deeply, but there's, there's so much that could really be going on with feminine, with a feminine death figure. Um, and also in a way, maybe expressing that, like that generative principle is being locked until things are kind of brought back into balance that the dreamer needs to unlock a further potentiality for change and transformation that brings rebirth, that kind of more feminine principle of death. Um, when the items are returned mm. or when balance is restored. Did, did the dreamer talk about the emotional uh, aspects of the dream? Um, very little. They said that the dream felt calm at first and then fearful and then guilty. Okay. So a little bit of a shift in change in tone and in the emotions coming forward, but the dream kind of building into a, a, this space more of, of fear and guilt is something to anchor into and to recognize why the dream images are bringing that forth and how does that relate back to certain dynamics that might be going on in their life. If you find this podcast useful, please consider supporting us on Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash golden shadow org. Do you have a dream you'd like us to analyze? Head over to goldenshadow.org to submit your dream for possible interpretation on a future episode. Thanks for listening. Until next time.